Welcome back to Sunday Night Study. We're glad that you're here and chosen to be with us. I have a question for you if you are married. You are married, this is specifically, to the wives, okay? A little question just for our wives. You ready? Okay. Raise your hand if you would say you have a model husband. A model husband. Rose, good, all right, yes, <laughs> Kimberly, there's some debate here, I'm not sure, uh, maybe, okay, Luke's holding up Jennifer's hand, good, all right. Now, of course, uh, thank you, my wife finally raises her hand, thank you, appreciate that, okay, thank you, honey, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> now, of course, you need to understand, it's really important and pertinent to the question of what do you mean by model? Of course, Webster says that model is an imitation of the real thing. So, if you have a model husband, he's sort of an imitation of the real thing. I've just, that's a joke. You didn't get that, but anyway. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about our model of Christ Jesus. The scripture says, if you think about it, you are, if you've been immersed into Christ and you've been faithful to him, You're, you are a Christian, you are a follower. That term wasn't used for a long time. And when it was first given, it was actually a term, a derogatory term. Uh, but to be a Christ follower, to be a disciple, to be a Christian, uh, means to, to model, to, to be one who models themselves after Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at that tonight a little more in depth as we often do on Sunday night. So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 as we consider what it means to have a model husband, to be like him in every way. And this lesson will apply not just, of course, to married people, but to all Christians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is our passage Paul writing to the church of Philippi, beloved group of people, and a short book full of the theme of joy is a word, and rejoicing is often repeated throughout this tiny epistle. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, by some is referred to as the Christ hymn, uh, because we we're given this model of who Jesus is, and we use that model to impact how we're to be. It not only describes who Christ is, but also how Christ followers model him. So you've probably heard the, I mean, it's decades old, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You see that on bracelets sometimes. That actually came from a, an old book called In His Steps, and the the, the, the premise was this little church was devoted to, in every way, asking the question, what would Jesus do? Well, that seems like a, a good premise, but it's a little more challenging because there are some situations where you don't know exactly what Jesus would do in that situation. But if we use the word and we let it instruct us on what Jesus did, that gives us an idea and a model as an example for how we can model him. So in this passage, Paul will encourage Christians to adopt a mindset that's Christ-like. And that's what we start with is the thinking. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we are, and I hope you're there. If there is any encouragement in Christ, 
any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, the word if here is, is probably better translated as since. He's not, he's not asking a question. He's, he's posing sort of a rhetorical point. Uh, another word that might fit here is the word because. Um, to, to give an example, if, 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 if water is wet, if fire is hot, uh, if Kansas is windy, okay, the, the, the obvious implication is, of course it is, of course it is. Of course you've received encouragement from Christ. Of course you've received comfort from his love. Of course you've received participation in the Spirit. Of course you understand the affection and sympathy that he provides. And so, the, the, the lesson one of the very first verse is, may we not take for granted what Christ has given to us. When did you become a Christian? We had a, a young man, 18 years old, immersed into Christ today, earlier this afternoon. Um, Jack Bosley. It's day one for him. When was your day one as a Christian? Maybe it was weeks ago, maybe it was months ago, maybe some of our teens years ago, maybe some of you decades ago. But I bet you remember it vividly. And in that moment, your heart and your mind were led to obey Christ, led to follow a very simple command to believe and be baptized. It's, it's the, one of the most simple of all the commands of Jesus. I, I had a discussion with Jack before he went to the water. He said, I want to talk to you about some things. And so he did. He poured out his heart and just where God had led him and what had led him to this point. And I said, this... This young man is ready. He knows what he needs to do. There was no convincing. I didn't. I mean, we talked a little about scripture, but but he understood why he was doing it, and it all came back to Philippians chapter two. I was just thinking about that: the encouragement, the comfort from his love, the participation in the Spirit, the affection of the Lord, and the sympathy of the Lord. Um, encouragement, of course, that simple word means simply to give courage. Christ gives us courage. Comfort. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one verse three says that God is the God of all comfort. Now think about this: the comfort that we give, that we have received from God. Second Corinthians says we are to also comfort others with, and so the comfort uh, that we've experienced from Christ, we have a responsibility not just to receive but to to share with others. Third, the participation in the uh, this, in the Spirit. The word here is koinonia. Another word uh, that we use for this is fellowship. One of the most powerful things about the, the Christian life is the fellowship that we have together. And it happens in all sorts of ways. It happens on Sundays before anything officially begins. People are visiting and talking and catching up. It happens inst among the people, among the pews, as we're sitting together in worship. It happens after the final amen. It happens at a table for guest lunch. It happens in small groups and, and in ministries where people are serving together. This participation gives us an idea that in Christ, we are called to, this is an active <laughs> discipleship, not a passive thing. And 
and no offense to any, anyone watching online, that's, I, I just certainly don't mean to offend, but you understand by watching, you're not getting the full participation in the life of the body of Christ. Participation, the, the fellowship, the koinonia. This is described pretty well in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is a pretty good snapshot of the early church. Um, and I think, not intentionally, but the church everywhere seems to, when we have the presence of the Lord, Christians being together, the participation in the Spirit, here's what we see if you're following along, Acts two forty-two, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay? These simple things are, it's, I mean, I know some people have preached about the pattern and all of that. I'm not against that, but may we understand that this is what participation, what fellowship looks like within the body, what it means to be a Christian. Of course, that happens here at the building, but it also happens the other 167 hours of the week as well. Then he says affection. Romans chapter 10, verse, uh, verse, chapter 12, verse 10, rather. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, <clears throat> uh, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We were talking about this at our small group this afternoon, about what it means to have brotherly love. And part of it is this idea of family, familial affection. Um, Family is is a unique kind of affection because family, you're close to these people, but you you see them, you love them warts and all. (laughs) They can irritate you sometimes, they they can anger you sometimes, they can frustrate you sometimes. At the same time, your family are the people you love the most. You'd give anything for them. You, you sacrifice for them. You do things for them. You, you give of yourself for your family. This is the idea of affection, that we love one another and have the affection toward each other that God has shown toward us in Christ. Last, sympathy. One translation says mercy. First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 8 Um, Peter writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Uh, We are to be, Jesus said, merciful just as God is merciful, our Father. We are to not just take the mercy of God, but we're to share the mercy of God. Another way to think about it is the word mercy starts with two simple letters, M-E, which ought to tell you that mercy starts with me. You, 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 you ought to give that which God has given you to have the same mercy and sympathy uh, toward each other. Of course, we're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short. That's understood. But we have sympathy with one, one another. It doesn't mean we condone sin. I'll be quick to say that. But it does mean that we understand. We give understanding. We give love. We have sympathy with each other. Third thing I want to say about verse 1 is... There's this idea that when it comes to church life, you're called to be a giver, not a taker. Let me explain what I mean by that. 
I suppose within, within a corporate group of, of company, a business, a volunteer organization, or even a church, there's all sorts of levels of involvement. There's a kind of a core, there's a middle, and there's a kind of an outer fringe. Within the church, and of course Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We, we understand that. And that's, but that principle is not just for a, a lesson on the contribution. It's in, within the Christian DNA to be a giver and not just a taker. Some, some simple examples. Have you ever taken a meal to someone who was in need? Or did you just say, well, someone else will do it? I don't really have the time. Were you okay with just being on the receiving end of that? Do you think Christ had some expectation to be on the giving side of that? Did you ever go visit someone in the hospital? Or did you think, well, that's what we pay the preacher for. We got elders to do that. I don't need to go. Someone else will do it. But when you're in the hospital, would it encourage you to have a visit? When it came to taking your kids to class, did you ever offer to help? Did you ever ask Anita or Norma if you could teach? Or did you just say, well, I'm really grateful to have somebody watch my kids? There's lots of levels, and I don't mean to just guilt you. I'm, I'm just trying to say, within Christendom... Paul starts with this idea, think about what you've received. Think about what you've been given. And because you've been given this, the implication is, not just should you receive encouragement, but you should give encouragement. Not just should you be comforted by the love of God, but maybe you should be a vessel for the love of God. Not should you just be in relationship with the Spirit, but you should encourage others to be participating in the Spirit, and you yourself as well. You've been shown the affection and sympathy of God. Do you share that with anyone else in your spiritual family? Verse number two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says <laughs> of this joy that he's going to reference again and again, he says, make my joy complete. Now that's really good. He's saying, I love you. I rejoice over who you are. Now, I just want to give you this, and you can make my joy complete. It's like your mother asks you to help clean the house, and you do. You clean your room, and you clean your bathroom, and your mother says, wow, that looks good. Now, could you just do one more thing before you hop on Snapchat? 
Just one more thing. Make my joy complete. Paul is so proud of who they are as a church and who they are as a people. Maybe Paul speaks to the ages here to us and says, make, make Paul, make Jesus proud of who you are as a congregation. Maturity, maturity in Jesus is not a matter of age. I, I spoke with an 18-year-old young man this morning, or this afternoon rather, and he had exceptional maturity, and he's very young. Maturity in Jesus has some qualities to it that don't have anything to do with your physical age. First, it is to be of the same mind of Christ. Being of the same mind. It reminds us of Romans chapter 12 where Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What does he say? By powerful preaching? No. Be transformed by church programs and ministries? No, that's not what he says. Be transformed by an awesome youth group and youth minister. That's not what he says. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We start with a decision and a mindset that is Christ-like. That's where transformation begins. In the renewal of our mind, which of course can only happen in Christ. From this passage, a couple of things that we get. Number one, a spiritual worship is much more than an hour or two on Sunday. And I believe a Sunday night study group would get that. Um, Worship, spiritual worship is all-encompassing. God cares about today. He, He wants... Our worship to be done in spirit and in truth. That's true. And God also cares about Monday afternoon and Tuesday morning and Wednesday night. God cares about those things. We don't compartmentalize our worship. Spiritual worship is all-encompassing. And that's what happens when you renew your mind. It doesn't just change here. It changes everywhere. And that's the second point, that change, true change begins by changing <clears throat> our mind. Now, we, we, we look, it's easy to look around and say, I, I'd really like to change a lot of things. If I had the power, I would change our world, I would change our leaders, I would change our government, I would change my work, I would change my bosses, I would change my neighbors. I, I have a lot of opinions on things that if I could change them, it would be absolutely everything would be right. But you know what? The last person I want to change is myself. And the last mind I want to change is mine. But Paul says that is where transformation begins. You want to change, start by changing yourself. Now, this is not a pep talk. Paul's pointing to Christ as the key to true changing of the mind and changing of the heart. Once we're in Christ, there are some things that we can do, I think, that are helpful. If you want to follow along, Philippians chapter 4. Well-known passage, again, from a short book. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This is the end, and he's giving them some final encouragement, some final 
exhortations. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's really important to pay attention to what you think. You can't believe everything you think. Sometimes you have a thought and it's, it's incorrect, it's untrue, it's a lie. You should pay attention to what goes into your mind as well. Because that's full of untruths and lies. You shouldn't just passively pay attention to whatever's on the Hallmark Channel or whatever's on Netflix or Hulu or what's on at the movies. You should always have your mind engaged. Is that true? Is that right? Is that pure? Is that lovely? Is that commendable? Again, we can't compartmentalize our worship. And so if we're going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, we have to get our mind in line with the things of Christ. Would Jesus watch the same things you watch? Would Jesus listen to the same things you listen to? Would Jesus talk in the same ways you talk? These are good questions. Philippians 4 verse 8 is a good guide. Second, to have the same love of Christ. Um, Having the same love of Christ, that seems like a high bar to me. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And I suppose there are people that I would lay down my life for in a dramatic sort of way. But I think laying down your life for your friends can be very small ways. Very subtle ways. You say you, you love your wife. You would give anything for her. You would conquer kingdoms and you would certainly give your life on behalf of hers. But will you pick up your socks? Will you let her go first? Will you make supper? You see, giving your life is hard. It goes against our flesh. It goes against our nature. And that's what Christ did all the time. John chapter 13, two chapters, two chapters back rather from John 15. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, what was new about that? That was in the Shema. That was in the old law. That you love one another just as I have loved you. That was the new part. That was different. Because now they had someone in the flesh who loved them perfectly. And Jesus said, love each other just as I have loved you. That's a high bar. Not that we'll ever attain it but we should always be striving toward it. Number three, to be in full accord, to one translation, be in full harmony. In the Corinthian church, 
the first epistle, not it really wasn't the first epistle, but the one we call the first epistle, Paul was addressing a whole lot of problems, and chief among those was division. They were in camps, you know. We have kind of camps, like we have the south side northsiders, and we have the north side northsiders, and then on Sunday night we have like the west side northsiders, the back row group, and then the, you know, the east side northsiders, so it's... That maybe it wasn't that bad, but they had these camps. And this group said, I follow Paul. That's my apostle. That's who I'm following. And this group followed Apollos. And Paul writes his letter and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how we act in the church. That's not what we do in the church. In verse chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you. The word here is, I'm begging you. Brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be harmony is another way to say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the in the same mind and the same judgment. And you say that is an incredible how do you take a lot of different I mean, we have a lot of different people, we have a lot of different backgrounds, we have a lot of different philosophies. That's true at Northside, that's true at Corinth. How do we take this group and make them in the same mind and the same judgment? Well, I think it goes back to verse 1. <laughs> Consider the encouragement we have in Christ. Consider we the comfort we have from his love. Consider the participation in the Spirit. Consider what God has given to us that should impact how you are with one another. Let me give you an example. Uh, we have a group called the Northside Singers. If you're not familiar with the Northside Singers, let me explain to you what the Northside Singers do. The Northside Singers are members of Northside who sing. Profound, isn't it? Okay, so uh, they are usually up in the loft and they'll sing maybe during a funeral or at a wedding. And these are all people who are capable and talented, have good voices. But not every great singer is in Northside Singers. Because the key to being a Northside Singer is not being a great singer. It's being someone who's able to sing and who's capable of harmonizing. Because the Northside Singers is not about any one part. Oh, we have people in there who can and do lead us in worship, who who have minds tuned to music. Who have a great ear. But when they're in Northside Singers, it's not about having any one part getting more glory than the other. It's many voices singing as one. And musically, we call that harmony. Spiritually, we should seek the same kind of harmony. Do we have different parts? Bass, tenor, alto, soprano, baritone? Sure, absolutely. Do those parts sing differently? Absolutely they do, and they should. But as they sing, they sing not as separate parts, but as one group singing in harmony. That's what Paul's appealing to the church at Corinth. I appeal to you, be of one mind. And one judgment. This is how Paul appeals to the church of Philippi. 
have the same mind, having the same love, being full accord. To do all of that requires something. But you know what? We're running a little long, and so I'm just going to quit there and leave you hanging. To do all of that requires something. And we'll talk about that more next week. Let's pray. Our Father God, we come to you as fleshly, selfish, self-willed, human beings, flawed in every way, requiring and needing a Savior like your Son. And it's only because of Him and only through Him that we can ever approach you in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we have thought about and studied and considered what it means to model ourselves after Jesus, to have the same kind of love, to have the same mindset that we might take seriously all that Christ did for us and the encouragement that we have, the comfort from His love, the participation with You. And Lord, as people who are somewhat all too familiar with the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. I pray that you might recall our hearts and minds to go back to a place where we appreciate those blessings anew. And I pray that you might renew our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. That we, as a body might continue ever so to keep our focus on your Son. To keep our mindset like His. To keep our hearts aligned with Him. And so that there may be no division amongst us, but that we might have the same love and the same mind and be in full accord as you desire it to be. Lord, we desire these things because they're good for us, but even more than that, we desire those things that that the world might see you within us. That the might that that, that 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 we as the bride might be able to give greater glory to the husband that is Christ. That we in the body might give greater glory to the head which is Jesus. Lord, we know that's not just something we need to do today, but each day. And on a day like today, where it's been good to have so much fellowship and encouragement and love and your word and prayers and songs, we find ourselves spiritually charged up, ready to face the weak. But Lord, I know the enemy is hard at work, and you know that too. And we pray that as we go through this week, 
we might lean more fully upon Christ at each moment of weakness, that we might strive to be deeper in the Word at each doubting and erosion of our faith. And I pray that that as we learn from your word and are encouraged by the Spirit and in and and encouraged by one another, that we'll keep going, that the battery will stay charged, and that we will seek you in all that we do. Thank you, Father, for this time together today. It's been a good day. We pray that you will continue to use us as your vessels. Let us be the light that you need us to be in a very dark world. Help us to be a salt, to be salt in a world that is so very bland. Lord, use us as you will. We pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen.